Well, good morning one more time. Good to see everybody in the house today. Hallelujah. We give a special welcome again to those in the room, but those who are worshiping with us online and in our overflow rooms here in Victory Midtown. Those in the room, can you put your hands together for everybody in the overflow? Let's give them overflow love right now. Amen. Well, listen, it is an absolute pleasure for us to be able to be here with us today because we're worshiping Jesus, first of all. And today we get an opportunity to do something that we don't do often uh, or even as much as we would like to, but we felt it very appropriate to do this today, and that is for us to have the opportunity to minister together. Together. Listen, anytime I have her sitting close to me, I'm feeling real good. I'm winning. I'm winning. And so not only did we want to minister together today, uh, one of the things that we wanted to make sure we were able to do was to actually slow down. Because as we're in an information age, in a technological age, there's so many things that come at us each and every day. But how many of you know, sometimes we just need to take a step back and not necessarily get something new, but be reminded about some truths so you can unpack them. And so what we're going to do today is we want to make sure we slow down, take some of the key themes that we've preached even in the last month and a half, because even though we've only gone through two chapters of Acts, we've had a lot. And I'm having conversations with people at the door or at lunch or at coffee, and they're saying, man, I, I wish we could kind of unpack that here or unpack that there. And so we're going to try to take some of the common themes, some of the highlights, and do that today. Why? Because it's one thing to get information, but you have to slow down enough with that information so it turns to revelation that actually turns into transformation. And so we believe that as we go through this word today and as we share some things, that transformation is going to happen even while we're right here together. Does anybody else believe that in the house? Amen. Amen. And so as we journey together, just uh, lean in with us and we're going to have some fun. Amen. And here's the thing. We wanted to do this together today because we carry a collective burden about victory and victory midtown. And again, oftentimes when Mo and I are praying, yes, we do have our individual prayer time, but we make it a point to come together to pray about each and every one of you, to pray about your lives, to pray about the things that God wants to unlock and show you. And so we wanted to be able to just breathe a little bit. So everyone do this. Just take a deep breath. Now let it out. What are you letting out? Parking, traffic, (laughs) the little kid that didn't want to go on the Victory Kids. (laughs) Being here since 6.30 in the morning, thank you to all and everybody who serves. Let's give them a round of applause. And what we want to do is just take a moment and the opportunity to allow what we share to bake and simmer. As Mo said, everything is microwavable or air fryable, depending upon your preference. And we know that it happens quick fast in a hurry, but there are some things of God that we just really need to slow down on. Why? If you're like me, you're living in a world where there is so much temptation to engage in the cliff version notes of Christianity. And see, the thing about cliff notes, I know this because I'm a professor, it gives you enough to pass. You might get a C minus, maybe a B plus if you really, really read the cliff notes. But we can't afford to get a C minus or a B plus in the things of life as it relates to Christ. We need to be able to exceed expectations because it's in our witness that we draw others to Christ. And so today what we wanted to do is just allow us to lean in and listen because if 
Headline news over the last week hasn't taught us anything. I believe it's taught us what profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world yet still lose their souls. We don't want to be found as a people who gain the whole world and externally we look like success. We look like significance in Christ, but internally we were shipwrecked. Come on. So as you know, our anchor scripture for the last month and a half has been Acts 1 and 8. And I invite you to listen in as Mo reads it out loud to all of us. Absolutely. Let's look at it in our YouVersion Bible notes or on the screen. Um, the Bible says this, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, one of the reasons why we read that scripture and why we read it over and over and over again, for one reason, it's because it's a part of the vision. It's actually the anchor scripture for the vision of this church. As you look around and you see these pillars on the wall, building families, transforming communities, reconciling cultures, and impacting nations, those are not just there because we had a bare wall we needed to fill. Those are there because we want to make sure we understand and that we're reminded about our priorities, reminded about the context in which we will serve God and be sent to be his witnesses. And what we're saying here is that so many times when we read the word, uh, if you've been a part of different churches and different environments, you may hear different people emphasize some over the other. And a lot of times when people start to talk about the Holy Spirit, I've said this already in the last few weeks, we relegate the function of the Holy Spirit to one aspect, and that's speaking in tongues. We relegate the Holy Spirit to one aspect, and that's just our myopic view of what he is for. But the Bible tells us very clearly that the power of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to be witnesses. What does that mean? A witness, we've said this, a witness is someone who communicates accurately what they have personally seen, heard, and experienced. So this particular scripture, it's informing us that we should be telling people about Jesus everywhere. And when we talk about telling people about Jesus everywhere, we need to understand that whether you're speaking audibly or whether it's by observation, you're still talking. And so what we're saying today, and this is a rhetorical question, I want you to write it down. It's not in your notes, but write this down, those online, in overflow, in the room. What is my witness communicating about Jesus? What is my witness, my mode of operation, the way that I live my life communicating about Jesus? And so as you ask yourself that question, let's get an early lean in. Let's go ahead and get that done, get an early lean in. Listen, we have to understand that whether you know it or not, somebody's always watching you. See, sometimes we actually look over that and don't understand that we speak louder in the moments that we are operating in an inconspicuous manner than what we're saying with our mouths. Because people know how you act when nobody's watching is the true essence of who you are. And so as we're looking at this, I'm not sure if we always take seriously not just the burden but the responsibility of calling ourselves Christ followers. I don't know if we're always sure of how many stakes are at play when we say that we are followers of Jesus and we're going to live this life out. And so another question that I want you to write down for your remembrance and thinking through this week, does what I say and what I do go along with who and whose I say I belong to? Yeah. 
Does what I say and what I do go along with who's and who we say we are? And so today, we're going to be talking about something very important. It's almost like a bad word in society today. It starts with a C. It's this word, character. Character. As a matter of fact, we're talking about character for the calling. What does that mean? Kendra and I, she just said it, we have a burden to see you win. We have a burden to see you have a wonderful time outside of this service on a Sunday morning. We have a burden that when people see you and they start to see the influence that you have, that as they're watching you, they're taking notes from your life, and those notes won't lead them to hell. They'll lead them to heaven. And so as we're looking at this, again, we need to understand we have a responsibility. And sometimes if our character is not consistent, the calling that we have can be sending people to a place that we don't intend. Amen. And it can be sending people with a wrong message, and that's not the message that we want to send. And so if we consider ourselves Christians, believers, followers of Christ, we have to understand again that your witness is always communicating something. And when we do certain things because people are watching from the outside looking in, what they're doing, they're saying, when you do something, you're affirming that your Jesus is okay with that. So let's take that in context. Uh-huh. Let's think about that. Meddling. I'm meddling a little bit already. I ain't even said it yet. But if people watch you, would they assume that your Jesus is okay with you just having sex outside of marriage just a few times a year? You know, at least I don't have rendezvous every month. I've kind of cut back. If people were watching you and they watched the testimony of your life, would they actually say that Jesus is okay with you cheating here and there just a little periodically just to kind of soften the blow? If they watched you, would they see in your life that it's okay to have a little white lie here and there as long as it's not hurting a whole lot of people? It's just this little thing here. Would they look at you and say, you know, it's okay to be a little tipsy a few times a week? You know, to smoke a little something to kind of relieve the burdens Stress. The stress. All those things. Why? Because when people are watching, what we're saying to them is that the God that we serve is not enough. He's enough to save us, but he's not enough to relieve us. Mm. And many times we make excuses, character excuses for a valve of release. Mm. And so what we're doing today is really just kind of setting this in play. I had a conversation. This is very appropriate for this service. I had a conversation with someone who's actually helping us to navigate through what we would call a good problem here in Victory Midtown where we've seen exponential growth, but that also comes with navigating new realities with traffic and traffic flow and, you know, the neighborhood and things of that sort. And so a little commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. Don't park in front of these people's driveways. Please, we want to be good neighbors. We want to make sure that we're able to be those who add to the community. But this individual that I was talking to, they asked me this question. They said, what would you attribute the explosive growth and what God is doing right there at Victory Midtown? What would you attribute that to? Are y'all doing, you know, a major advertisement? Do you have billboards and all these things? And they said this. They put it in context. They said, outside of the hunger for God, outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, what would you attribute it to? And without even thinking about it, I was able to say it's the witness of people who watch people that have been coming to Victory Midtown and how God has affected things in their lives. And they say, I have to have what you have. I need to engage what you're engaging in. 
And I believe that I'm in the right room today that many of us have either been impacted by someone who we've seen God change their lives or we've impacted other people by them seeing our lives. Do I have any witnesses in the room right now? And so we need to understand we are having an impact by our everyday lives. And I want to read this scripture that's very appropriate to really set the tone for what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 in the Amplified says this. You are our letter of recommendation, written in our hearts, recognized and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Again, you are our letter of recommendation. When people see your life, you're either validating or you're taken away from what God is doing in your life. And so there are certain attributes. We all know that sometimes like attracts like. Sometimes we receive more from people who either have the same experiences that we've had. They kind of look like us. They come from the same background. But how many of you know looks, height, all those things, they don't affect people as much as character does? And so I want to say this very clearly. Character is absolutely critical. Write that down. It's, it's simple, but character is absolutely critical. I want to read a quote by Peter Drucker, and if you're in business, if you've ever read anything that helps with business, you would probably know this name. If you haven't, I want to advise you to read some of his stuff, but he says this very pointedly. He says, by themselves, character and integrity do not accomplish anything, but their absence faults everything else. Here, therefore, is the one area, say one area, is the one area where weakness is a disqualification by itself rather than a limitation on performance capacity and strength. What he's simply saying right here is the credibility of a witness is found in character. The credibility, yeah, some people can pass. You might not get their order right. They can look over. Maybe you don't have all the things that you need, but they cannot look over when you say you're about something and then you actually don't have the character back up, back it up. It kills everything else they said. And so how many people in here have experienced people where they were talking good? You started to believe them. Then you see them in an instance and it totally goes against what they said. And you're like, ah, here we go again. And so here's what I want to say. You guys know the scripture, many of you, John 10, 10, the Bible says, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. See, we read that and we say it's all about the devil, but my question is, are you an accomplice to the crime? Are you an accomplice to the crime of him stealing, killing, and destroying? Why? Because even when you look at the word in the Greek, the thief means klepto, where we get the word kleptomaniac. And what the thief wants to do is to kind of just subtly just steal moments away, and we don't know that it's our character that's giving him the keys. Because if he can kill your witness, listen to this, he can steal your credibility. And when he steals your credibility, he destroys the potential of what you can affect in the earth. You want me to get off to that? Those are some bars. Can you say that one more time? The devil always wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But if he can kill your witness, he's actually stealing your credibility. And when he steals your credibility, what he is doing is destroying the witness and the effect you can have in the world around us as we're supposed to be sent. Amen. Amen. Having said that, I think that we could all agree 
that character, especially in today's society, it has become an undervalued commodity. Mm. Can you say that one more time? Let's just slow, slow that down. Let's slow that down. You said we're going to bake and we're gonna, simmer. We're going to bake we're gonna and simmer. We're going to make some short ribs today <laughs> in a pressure cooker. <laughs> Again, I think that we could agree that character is an undervalued commodity, especially in today's society. And, and personally, I think the number one reason why it's so undervalued is that it's convenient a lot of times for us to get compromised, corrupted, and to even allow our character to be chipped away at by accusation, by individualism, by trauma triggers, by chandeliering. You know, somebody says something and you just lose it, yeah. by gossip by the absence of kindness, even sometimes by the consumer culturism that's a part of who we are. And a lot of times our character gets corrupted, it gets compromised, it gets chipped away at because of our me, myself, and I-ism. Mm. The reality, though, is if we don't understand what character is and what it does, we'll continue to be caught up in that cycle. So I don't want to assume that we're all operating from the same place, so I want to share out a common definition or two about character. Again, the first thing you know about character is that it is the attributes or features that make up and distinguish an individual. So character can be something that's physical in terms of a birthmark somewhere, but it can also be internal. So the second thing I want you to think about when we talk about the character of an individual, and this is the one that I want to stick, is that character is also the complex, the complex combination of mental and ethical traits that often makes up an individual, a group, or an institution. Good. So if you look at these four walls and you see these four pillars, that is a part of the character of Christ of victory. So no matter how hard it gets, we want to impact nations. We want to reconcile culture. We want to build families. We want to transform communities. Those are the boundary lines in which we play. The challenge, however, is that for a lot of us, we focus on the character that we can see and feel. But I want to push us just a little bit further and I want to submit to all of us humbly that character, especially today, has to be something that we experience and discern. Well. Character, it must also be something that we experience and discern. Why do I say that? I say we must experience it and discern it because we live in a day and age where there are so many smooth criminals and operators, even in the body of Christ, who are hijacking the grace and the goodies of people in the name of a short-term fulfillment. Wow. What am I getting at? Character is always an indicator of behavior. But a lot of times we're skipping over the indicator of behavior until it's too late. So for some of y'all, y'all like Michael Jackson because you've been hijacked by a smooth criminal and you're running around here talking about, Annie, are you okay? Annie, are you okay? For our 2,000 babies, that's Michael Jackson. Michael Please Jackson. Go back. Go back. Go listen to it. <laughs> but hear me. 
in all sincerity, what's happening is we're making moves based upon an external that has not been solidified or concretized in the eternal. We're like, they look nice. They seemed okay. They were so quiet. They're at church. Facts. At Midtown. At Victory. I thought... Has anyone's life ever been hijacked by an I thought? If they're sitting next to you, just kind of look forward. <laughs> Pray for the grace, especially if you got a ring on it. But if you don't have a ring on it, and you know that their character is not an indicator of the behavior of Christ, run, Forrest, run. Yeah. But I want to take us a little bit deeper because the definitions of character that I gave you are worldly. But let's look at it from a Christian perspective. In Scripture, Christian character includes and is described as the following. The pursuit of truth, godliness, righteousness, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, perseverance, meekness, humility, self-control, compassion, thankfulness, forgiveness, contentment, and unity. So while you're preparing your to-do list for Monday morning, do you have self-control, compassion, humility, patience, kindness, meekness on that list too? You got to check it off Because again, if it's experienced and discerned, over time, you'll be able to measure it. See, when Mo and I were first getting to know each other, different people in our lives came to each of us separately and assassinated our character on purpose. Hear me. Different people in both of our lives grabbed us separate and apart and assassinated our character on purpose. Without having the character of Christ and having these Christian characteristics and attributes at the forefront of our lives, we would have missed each other relying upon corrupted flesh. What we did, in spite of what appeared even at the time, perhaps some wisdom, We took time to slow down, to watch each other when the other didn't know we were paying attention and watching. And over time, we were able to test the fruit by the fruit to know that what was being said wasn't the truth. Come on. This is real, y'all. So you've got to hear it on both sides. You've got to be able to know what the word is saying. And that's why, again, we will be known Not by our swag, not by how many degrees we have, not by how quickly we got a ring on our finger or didn't, not by all of these attributes that over time will fade away. We will be known by our fruit. See, none of us would go to the grocery store, especially not now with these ridiculous inflated prices, and buy a bag of rotten apples. If we went to the grocery store right now and all they had in the produce section was rotten fruit, we'd find a manager. We'd be outraged. We'd be concerned. We'd give all these factors as to why we should not be subject to this rotten fruit. We do it at the grocery store 
i.e. we have standards. But when was the last time you ate and partook of some rotten fruit in the form of a person, place, or thing? You gave them your money. You gave them your time. You gave them your attention. You still might be eating it, even if you have indigestion right now. In the words of somebody, you need to cut it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's so important because one of the things that we navigate through in the world is the poverty mindset. And when I say poverty mindset, I'm not talking about the amount of money that we have. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about sometimes we operate as if we don't serve the God who has all and knows all. We operate sometimes as if God doesn't know what's best for us. We operate as if if this person passes me by, I don't know if I'll ever get someone to try to love me like this again. Or if this job passes me over, if I don't get this promotion, if I'm not recognized for this particular thing, it's the end of the world. No, we're doing this unto God. We work at places, but we are employed by God. And so our character has to be that that says, God, I trust you. And I'm going to trust that you have the best for me. And I'm going to stay in my place of character and not hop and skip and jump trying to placate. So that someone will accept me in this moment and it's really less than what you have for me. That's right. And that's why Matthew 7, 13 through 20, I'm not going to read it all, but hear me. There's an opportunity. (laughs) They need it. (laughs) Yes, sir. Matthew 7, 13 through 20, it says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is and difficult is the path to travel that leads to the way of everlasting life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets, teachers, who come to you dressed as sheep, appearing gentle and innocent, but inwardly They are ravenous wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. That is, by their contrived doctrine and self-focus. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the unhealthy tree, it bears bad fruit. A good tree, it cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you will recognize them as false prophets. All I'm trying to say is that we must take advantage of and be possessors of character, our own godly character, we've got to embrace it. We have to cultivate it. We have to grow it because what our character speaks is in direct correlation to our relationship and our koinonia, our fellowship with God. Absolutely, absolutely. And I have a question. Again, I'm going to ask a lot of rhetorical questions because, again, we pray that you're sensing that we're not trying to hype you today. We're trying to build you today. 
Because as we navigate through this word of God, we're going to come back and start preaching again, even next week through the continuation of the book of Acts. But my question today is, how would people describe you if you left it up to them to get a gauge on your character? For some of us, it would depend in which context they met you. Anybody that knows me, uh, I've had the privilege of being able to play golf with many of you, to have lunch or to have coffee or to have a sit down. And one of the things that you will know about me is that I'm the same mo when I'm on the golf course or outside or in the gym that I am on this platform. Why? Because I've made up in my mind that I don't have the time nor the energy to try to remember which mo I showed to you. <laughs> am I turn up mo over here or I'm conservative mo over here? Am I nice on this side or am I impatient on this side? The thing about it, when you are able to be consistent, not perfect, when you're able to be consistent in your character, what you're then able to do is to allow people to see the image of God working on you in process. But too many people, again, because of fear, because of people pleasing, we, we do this over here and then we operate like this over there. And so as we've been talking, we've been saying, Acts is about that action, and we get excited about that. We get excited about taking over the world and having an impact for God. But just as much as Acts is about that action, our character can counteract our effectiveness. Yeah. Say this with me. Our character, our character. Can, counteract can counteract my effectiveness. My effectiveness. Say it one more time. In the overflow online, say my character, my character. can counteract my effectiveness. my effectiveness. Hear this. What we're saying today, we're not sitting up here like we have it all together. We're not sitting up here talking about a, a call to perfection or spiritual elitism. But what we're saying is that we have a commitment to digging into the character of Christ. If we're going to be about that life, let's be about that life. Amen. If we're going to open ourselves up and really have true change, that's what we're inviting into. Every single Wednesday with our staff, for those of you who attend Saturday morning corporate prayer, we thank God for you because you are setting the pace for this ministry on Saturday mornings, on Wednesdays. We pray every week that God, when people come into these doors, they have an encounter with you that's undeniable. But how many of you know, and you hear me with open ears, an encounter is not enough to sustain you? It starts with an encounter. But our life of change is sustained by choices. And many of us, we've come into an environment where there's been a great encounter, a great spirit. We, we said, God, I'll never do that thing again. As soon as we leave, about 7 p.m., we get that call. You up? And we have to make a choice. We have to sustain it by the choice, renewing ourselves, understanding that I'm on the path, but I'm not going to do that thing again. Devil, get me with something new. Don't get me with the old thing that I've been Listen, doing. Listen, I'm saying devil don't get me at <laughs> don't all. Don't get me at all. I don't know. I'm, I do, I'm good. Help me. But that's why we need accountability. Yeah. That's why we emphasize small groups is because when you find yourself and your character being chipped at and when you find your character being tested, that's when you pick up the phone to a brother and a sister and say, I need help. SOS right now. And so I want to read this scripture because, again, this talks about how we are supposed to be growing and how we're supposed to navigate in the world we live in. Romans 12, 1, the Amplified says it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves. Say all of me. All of 
all of me. Not that part over here or over there. Dedicating all of yourself, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. See, I love a God that does not tell, tell you to turn your brain off so you can walk into spiritual things. Amen. We have to have both. It says, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Not everybody else's plan, but his plan. And so if you've been around me for any period of time, you've heard me say this. It is absolutely critical that we don't live too far in the future or we dwell too far in the past, but that we master moments that we're in right now so that we can have character moments of observation and, and really application so that as we're being challenged with things, we say, God, I'm just going to master right now. I don't want to get anxious about what's ahead, and I'm not going to live in condemnation about what's past. But right now, give me this day my daily bread. I need you because I can win in this moment, which will actually now catapult me into winning into another moment. Why? Because every single moment, listen to this, has the opportunity to either validate or discredit the testimony of your life. One more time. Every moment has the opportunity to either validate or discredit the testimony of your life. And so we have to make sure that we are proving faith, that we are living life like we believe, that we don't get tested with certain things and then we revert back to how we used to operate B.C., before Christ. Because listen to this. You can know a lot of Scripture. You can pray in tongues for five hours. You can prophesy. You can interpret but if you are not operating in character, your entire witness is null and void. I'm telling you something I know. I know people personally who are highly gifted, who are great preachers, who are great business people, who are great in different realms. But when you watch their lives and the fruit of their lives, it makes you say, well, that discredits everything else I see you doing. Because if I can't trust that over here, how can I trust this over there? And so what we need to understand is that our character, write this down, our character can actually be our limiter. And I believe I'm in a room, that we're in a room, that we don't have people that want their character to be their limiter. Because God, he gives all of us an opportunity to walk in things. The Bible says that the gifts of God are given without repentance. So that means that all of us that are gifted with things by God, we also have to match that up with the character. When you think about gifts, again, they're giving, given as the Spirit wills. But when it comes to fruit, listen to this, it's cultivated through time and effort, and you have to be proven. Why? Because there is a cost involved in the development of fruit. Amen. Again, it's costly, but it's necessary, and it's beneficial. And so when we talk about how do you do this practically, the first thing we want to share with you is, again, you have to cultivate your character. And there are a few words right now in, in modern society and in culture that are just thrown around a lot. Cultivate is one of them. 
curate is another, and, and narrative. We hear these words all the time. And so because we hear these words all the time and they're coming at us fast, I want to just provide a general landscape for us to take this in from. So when we're talking about cultivate your character, what we're talking about is taking the time that is needed to prepare, to develop, and to grow your character. See, when you prepare, when you develop, and when you grow your character, you are inevitably being about that action. Yeah. Because all three of those things require us to do something. See, we don't want to be like the man at the pool of Bethesda. He was so close to his miracle. He was so close to his breakthrough, but he kept having excuse after excuse after excuse. And for a lot of us, we've been so close. But we're like, but I don't have anybody to. And Jesus is saying to us today, he's asking us simply, do we want to be healed? Do we want to be able to stand up in Christian character today? Not tomorrow, not next week, not this summer, but today. So in order for us to grow and cultivate our character, we have to understand that what's at stake is the witness. See, I've been watching a particular trial this week. And, and, and the scariest thing about the trial isn't even the individual on trial. The scariest thing is the individual on trial, but also the witnesses who through a line of reasoning and questioning keep getting caught up. See, the devil never comes at you straight. He always comes through illusions and assumptions and, and presumptions about things. And so when we understand the power of cultivating our character, we are those who say, God, before I lead anybody else, I want a master leading myself. Yeah. In the good, in the bad, in the ugly, in the unknown. See, Proverbs 16.3 in the Amplified Version of the Bible, it says this, commit your works to the Lord, not flesh. Commit your works to the Lord. In other words, submit and trust them, your works, to him. And your plans will succeed if you, your respond, if you respond to his will and guidance. Let me read that again. Commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to him, and your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and guidance. What am I getting at? Character is very difficult to cultivate when all the lights are on, meaning when everything's on go, when everything's a blessing, when, when everything is just Gucci. Character is developed in the dark. Come on. It is developed while no one is watching, when God seems silent. It is developed in seasons when it is cheaper, seemingly, to be a creeper than a kingdom constituent. Mm. 
Character is developed when we don't get what we want. It's developed when delay feels like denial. Character is developed when it seems like that thing you've been praying on still has not arrived. When it feels like the thing you're praying on is DOA, dead on arrival. But the reality is we cultivate our character when we embrace the truth and the word of God that he knows all things. That delay is not denial. That his timing is perfect. That maybe he's not giving it to you now because your character isn't there to sustain it. See, if I would have got Mo at the height of getting a PhD, I would be divorced because my ego was too big in terms of all the nomenclature about you got to have a big ego and you're a boss babe and this, that, and the other. But by the time God cultivated the both of us, even him through his own trauma, we understood the gift of a man or woman of God going fully after the things of God. When we got together, our credit scores weren't the best. We weren't driving the nicest cars. I'm being honest. We had to fix both of our teeth. That's why I smile a lot. (laughs) Hear hear me. Can we be real? Hear me. How many of y'all have passed over somebody because they don't have the physical attributes that you want, but they have the character you've been praying and crying about? I literally told this man, I don't care if you have any D's behind your name. I told Mo, I said, because of who you are as a kingdom man, if you were the bus driver, I'd still be the proudest woman in the ATL. And I'd make his lunch, I'd make his dinner. I'll cook you your dinner too. <laughs> if you don't stop. Every service y'all, he's caught me off guard with something. If you don't stop. <laughs> but in all sincerity, he'd be the flyest dress, bus driver all ATL. <laughs> he'd be smiling from ear to ear because he'd be taken care of at home. Again, character is cultivated in the dark. This is why Philippians 2, 3 through 7 says it like this. Do nothing from selfish, selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility. Hear this. Being neither arrogant nor self-righteous. Regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. Have the same attitude which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. Look to him who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. But Jesus, y'all, he emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bondservant 
and being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. I know that was a lot, but it didn't say let men, let women, let influencers, let pastors, let politicians be your example. It said look to him, Jesus, as your example of selfless humility. That scripture says consider others as yourself. It says to walk in humility. And when you do those things, when you take on the same attitude of Jesus Christ, you can say, yes, it's painful sometimes to do these things. But I'm going to, I'm going to do it because of the example of Christ in my life. I can tell you this, sometimes the things that we go through, even as believers, they are painful. But I would also equally tell you something that I heard Bishop Dale Bronner say years ago that I keep in my front pocket on the bad days. He said it's painful sometimes, but it's necessary because God never ends on a negative. Meaning when we are going through pain, our flesh dies. But I can tell you as a personal witness, my faith has grown through the pain. Because I haven't looked for a man as a placebo. I haven't looked for a job as a placebo. I look to the real healer, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, son of the living God. And that is what's gotten me through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in essence, what we're saying right now, and this gives you the second thing that we were talking about, we have to double down on our character. Yes. We have to double down, again, with the image of Christ being our guide. And I want to say this. We have to commit to the character of God, listen to this, before the test. Say it again. We have to commit to the character of God before the test. What am I saying? A lot of times, see, we play around with the devil. We play around with temptation. We say, oh, we want to try to make decisions to follow God while we're in the midst of temptation. You have to wake up in the morning, I'm even saying this over you now, that some of us today in your prayer tonight, in your prayer in the morning, you need to pray specifically, God, I'm making a decision to lean into your character today. Because when you get tested, you're going to be able to say, I already knew that was coming. I'm not going to have to try to get ready. I'm going to stay ready. Because what we say, even in Matthew chapter 5, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to meditate on that this week, verses 43 through 47 in the message. It simply tells us right here that anybody, even without Christ, can love their enemy. Anybody without Christ can actually pass certain temptations, but it shows that you have the character of God when people misuse you, when people cut you and they, and they shame you, and you still operate in the character of Christ. And so that is the test of character. I made this statement a few weeks ago, but I want to say it again. It's in your notes. Many times when it comes to walking in the fullness of what God has called us to, many times we overestimate what God wants to do, and we underestimate what's our responsibility to do. We put all the onus on God to make it happen. He's saying, you have a responsibility to make some choices. You have a responsibility to operate in character even when it's hard. And so these needed elements of our character, we we need to grab this. Listen, because we settled this a few weeks ago. We said everybody was a preacher, right? We all are called to preach with our lifestyles. So if we're all called to preach and lead with our lifestyles, hear this. The higher the call of God, the deeper the foundation of our character must be. The higher the call of God, 
the deeper our foundation of our character. And it has to make, we have to make sure that that aligns as we move into things of God. Amen. And that leads us to the final point, which is that we must embrace the king's character. When Mo and I were dating, he said something to me that, that was a life changer. And it was simply these words, either you believe God or you don't, Kendra. Either you believe God or you don't, Victory Midtown. And when you look at James 1, verses 2 through 8, I want us to focus in on verse 5 and 6. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who generously gives to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. It goes on to say, verse 7 and 8, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because such a person is double-minded in all their ways. See, a lot of times the reason why we can't believe God and embrace the kingdom character and the character of Christ is because we're double-minded. We have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. We have one foot in, you know, Scientology and one foot in the kingdom. We have one foot in self-centeredness and one foot in the kingdom. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, Mo talked about this, the importance of being Christocentric. Again, when we're Christocentric, that means our preaching and our living comes primarily from the truth of the Scripture, yeah. meaning we are living through the perspective of Jesus and his values, his principles, his priorities as revealed directly or indirectly by biblical revelation of what he said and did. See, we've gotten away from it, but again, it was all the rage. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Again, some of us might have to go back to that old school phraseology because instead of us being Christocentric, a lot of us have just veered into being me-centric. Yeah. And when we're me-centric, it's about my preference. It's about my personality. It's about my personal leanings. It's about my picks. And Jesus is saying, but I have all this over here for you. Yeah. What am I getting at? A lot of times, we just got to go back to the basics of being vertical with him. Because in the vertical surrender, we become Christocentric. And all the other things, they fall off. They fade away. And so what this entire time has been for us is a call to character. It means nothing if we can win, appearingly win to the world, but lose our souls. To not operate in character. And God is saying, if you will follow me and fully lean into me, that's not something for a Sunday morning. He wants you to be able to have character in the entire 168 hours of the week. And so what we do a lot of times is that, again, we veer off to being me-centric, and we want to make sure that we're following God and having character that will remain. And so I want to do this. If you'll bow your heads for a moment, we're calling to character right now. And the first and foundational way that we call to character is if, first, we are operating 
not in our own way, not in our own strength, but under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I recognize that in a room like this, there are many people in different phases of life. Some of you were brought by someone. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time. But if you're in here right now and you heard these things and say, yeah, that, that character sounds good. I want to be able to do better, but I can't do it on my own. You need Jesus to be able to do this. There's no way that you're going to be able to fight the temptation of the world without the empowerment of God and the Holy Spirit. And not only standing there, our eternal life is at stake. And so if you're in here right now and you don't know for sure that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, that you will spend eternity with Jesus, and that you know you can't live this life out with good character by yourself, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please, all over the room, just throw your hand up without thinking it. Throw those hands up. Throw those hands up without thinking about it. Just accept him right now. I want to pray for you. In the overflow rooms, throw those hands up right now. We have team members in there. We want to pray with you now. I see hands all over the room. Even online, receive this as well. Victory Midtown, let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. But you also resurrected so that I could have life. And right now, I make a decision to repent, which means that's me turning away from my way of doing things. Turning away from my mode of operation and going fully into your mode of operation. Today, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I want to live for you. And now I can confidently say that I'm a child of God because of your sacrifice. Hallelujah. Father, I pray over all of us right now in this call to character, we declare that this moment now is a game changer because we will not be those who compromise. We won't be those who go along to get along, but we will be those who make sure that our character aligns with our calling in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, give God praise right there. Come on, you can give God a better praise than that. He wants us to be able to be a reflection of him that as people see us, they see our good works, but they glorify our Father in heaven. You can't stand on your feet all over the room. Stand on your feet all over the room in every overflow. Just go ahead and stand up. Listen, I'm going to ask our prayer leaders to come down because as we get ready to leave today, we want to make sure that we understand, again, we're a culture of one step. And what that simply means is that we're going to take another step with God. And so as we dismiss today, as we leave here to be sent out to walk this out, if you're in the room and you need someone to pray with you, just to come in agreement with you, we can do that right now, even as we leave here today together. I want to say a final blessing over us because as we move forward, many of you know we have membership class today at 3 p.m. If you're ready for that, come and join us. We start our 5 p.m. service today, so be praying for us on that. Come on, give God praise for that. But if you would, as we get ready to leave together, just lift your hands. Father, we don't just see potential right now. We see history in the making. Because we are choosing, God, not just to exist and go by the wayside in convenience, but we choose to choose character today. Father, allow us to be those people that as we live this life, it is so evident that we are different because your hand is upon us. Father, I declare right now that we shall live and not die to declare the mighty work of the kingdom. And we will go out this day walking in the fullness of who you've created us to do, to be and do, preaching this gospel to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, Victory Midtown. We love you.